Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Amy Adler's How I Hire. I am here with Rebecca Van Doren. What an amazing person Rebecca is. Uh, I'm so glad that she's here um, talking with me today. Um, she and I have known each other for quite some time and have talked about the notion of hiring and being hired um, for some number of years now. So I am so excited to hear her insights um, and to hopefully get her um, to talk a little bit about why we don't talk about this enough. Um, the last time she and I had this conversation, that came through extremely clearly. So I'm looking forward um, to that conversation. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Amy. Nice to be here. I'm glad you are. Um, so why don't we get rolling with, um, if you don't mind um, searching your memory banks for a second, um, and thinking about maybe the first job you were ever hired for, I don't know if you were in high school or college, um, what that experience was like, what impression did that hiring manager leave on you? I'm just curious to know how that rolled out. Well, it does go back into the memory banks. I um, remember the first job I officially really interviewed for was for hearing aids, uh, to sell hearing aids. And I was in college still. And I didn't know what to prepare for. I didn't know how to prepare. I just knew I needed to look professional in order to get the job. So I didn't even have a discussion with anyone ahead of time. I was maybe 17 or 18 years old. I didn't have a discussion ahead of time as to what I should be prepared for. So the interview was more of the general manager explaining to me what he was looking for and talking to me about whether or not I, could underst I understood what was needed. And from there, we just went ahead and he hired me. And it was, it was very straightforward and simple. But looking back, I had absolutely no preparation going into it. And it did make a difference because when I started working there, I really didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. So my natural instinct to just start to dive in and sometimes make mistakes and ask a lot of questions helped me out because he just, at the time, he didn't have the training programs or anything available. I was the only one that he'd hired um, to get me up and running. So it gave me a really good understanding of when you don't have everything handed to you to just dig in and ask questions and don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. So that was my, my first experience. So that was in a form of healthcare sales and clearly that, had, that made an impression on you because you continued in that realm. Um, and ultimately becoming um, a district manager um, and a leader um, far beyond that in your own right. Um, so again, reaching back in history, how, how did that first hire for you? That was your first interview, but now that you were bringing on people um, back in the day, how did the process feel to you when you were making that first hire for yourself? Well, it was, it was very, very different. I mean, I think that being that I was younger and not knowing what to expect, um, when I went into, when I moved from the clinical space, I was working in the ER prior as an EMT and a phlebotomist um, in the laboratory. I went in, into pharmaceuticals with very little background in sales or knowledge of business and got sort of a crash course right away with these great hiring programs and these district managers and these regional directors that had lots of experience and lots of training and coaching behind them. And I was sort of flying um, by minute by minute in terms of my learning. And so when I had the challenge of my very first hire as a manager, 
it was actually a hire to replace myself. So I was hiring to replace my position because I was promoted and that probably was even more of a challenge for me. So how do you go from managing a territory as a product specialist for a biopharmaceutical company to hiring someone to take your place in that very same territory? So the, the challenge I was faced with was how do I look for somebody that's not me? And I think that was how I approached it initially probably want to hire someone not like me. However, I was so focused on trying to look for a specific skill set and whether or not they had a certain amount of experience that I overlooked a few things in terms of what my instincts told me. I overlooked, for example, the, uh, the power and value of being part of a, of a collective environment, a team, and bringing people on that would make sense to, you know, Culturally, culturally immerse themselves and be part of a team that could raise the bar a little bit more as well as mesh well with the customers and the company culture. And so what I ended up doing was hiring someone who was in, you know, had the same amount of experience I did when I first came on board to the organization, but really wasn't um, as great of a fit for the team and was a bit of an outsider uh, for the remaining three years that he was at the organization. And that was, that was something that I just was not aware of. I didn't know and I didn't understand the value of bringing someone on board that really made sense for the team because there are lots of people with great experience and skill sets. It doesn't matter if, if they're not a great fit for the culture and for the team. So those are things that my very first hire, I thought, okay, this is going to be pretty simple. I know what the territory needs, but I wasn't thinking about the team or the organization as a whole. And I, that's, that was a main learning lesson from my first hiring experience. So then that must have carried through over time. Um, I, you know, I've, you and I have talked about culture in the past, mm-hmm. and I know how important that is to you. But here you are with this person on your team, and maybe he's not the greatest fit, but he's technically competent. Um, how did you sort of assess his or, or down the road, other people's, how do you assess their, their capabilities or their characteristics, um, both technically and, and in terms of fit? Um, how, do you, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out that balance when you're meeting someone for the first time or getting a reference or a recommendation? That's got to be really interesting. You know, I mean, it's an interesting question, a bunch of questions to ask because it all kind of came together over time and evolved. So in the the early days when I was explaining that I I really had to train myself, I wasn't getting any outside coaching or training to understand that my instincts, that somebody had the talents and the skill sets and having to remind myself that back when I started in the pharmaceutical industry, I had never been in pharmaceuticals before, nor did I have any training to be a pharmaceutical representative. I was fortunate to be on board with a company that gave me and provided me that training. However, moving forward in, the, in my career, I didn't necessarily join organizations that had buttoned-up training programs or hiring um, manager programs, development programs. So on, as I evolved through the process, my early candidates, I've always tried to look for natural talent. And I think from my experience, I was a professional athlete 
And so being a member of um, a training team and having instructors and being part of a group that trained every single day for 15 to 16 years of my life, you learn that you have a certain role on a team and we're missing a link. And where's that link? If we don't have it, we need to, we need to bring it in or we need to build it and build the, you know, fill in the gaps there. And I think from the, the get-go, I learned um, quite quickly that the, thing, the, the real natural talents that people have really drive their situational awareness. And it also tells me how open-mindedness, how, you know, how much open-mindedness they have or how much coachability they have. And it all falls into sort of the trust and listening category. So when I look at, it's not just a skill set because a skill set are oftentimes the items that can be taught. You can read about them in books. You can talk a really good game about what skills are needed. However, when you're sitting across from someone, which I still believe to this day, you know, phone screens, I will conduct phone screens always, of course, but you do need to sit down and, and look at someone and speak with them. You can tell with body language and, you know, how excited they are, how involved or how committed they may appear to be. You can see that in person and nothing really changes that. So over time, I got more, I had more and more experience understanding those sort of small cues, which were really large cues in the grand scheme of things, because it's really difficult to say, here's your equation. And this is the equation that adds up to the, the most excellent, committed, highly skilled, talented, team-oriented individual. It just doesn't, there's, there is no formula for that. I think it has to do a lot with where you are, myself in this seat, in my career, what products or organization I'm a member of, what kind of culture we have, and then you, you sort of begin to assess and draw out from an individual what they're bringing to the table. And as, you, as I've evolved over time, when I look at early candidates, I think, okay, I didn't know if I could really manage someone well. I wasn't even asking myself that question. And manage meaning, can I support this individual for their growth and development? Can I support them with their learning development? Um, can, can I provide the resources that this individual needs? Is this person going to be challenged? Those are the things that I wasn't really aware of early on. But as I got further down the game and had to, you know, hire 20 to 30 people and hope to make a sales force almost instantaneously in, in my world sometimes, you have to sit back and say, okay, you have to take a little bit of, of reasoning about who's on, the, who's on the table in terms of what skill set they have, but also the talent pool, because where are we going to be in two years? Who do we want to be in two years is really the questions that, you know, I started to ask myself as I got further down the road in my um, career. So what does that mean, honestly, from the candidate side? So I appreciate what you're saying, no doubt. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm now wondering, how do you figure out sitting in front of somebody in an interview situation or a networking situation or a referral situation that the person that you're sitting in front of at T equals zero is going to be responsive to the kind of mentorship and training and so on at T equals two years or five years or however long you anticipate them being in the role. That seems like you have to have a lot of insight into their character, into their commitment, into the organization, all, all kinds of things. 
mm-hmm. um, that's a big ask. <laughs> that's a really big ask. It really is a big ask. And I, and I think it's, for me, it's really a matter of it, within the first 30 seconds to minute, you can get a sense of someone's um, interest level or whether or not they're prepared or seem to be in a good place um, are interested in being there. I mean, I think in general, it's just a, it's a very natural, I, I look at it from a very natural position. In the minute I meet you from the minute we, we shake hands or exchange an email to the minute we sit down, is it comfortable chatting with you? Do we have any sort of, you know, awkward body language going on or are we not able to even communicate? Because sometimes I look back and say, okay, well, we couldn't even communicate over some basic level things. And then when you're sitting across from someone and you're getting to know them, if I'm having to refer back to my notes too many times, if I'm having to take too many notes, I find that 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 is telling me that I'm not connecting well enough with this individual because I think that the people that I've had the most success working with, and I always say that I work for my teams, are the people that I connect with almost instantly and can draw out from discussions and their you know, what they're bringing to the table, the the questions they're asking, um, and a level of trust and commitment that may or may not be there. There may be a, you know, perfectly skilled, well-talented, overly talented individual for a particular role. Uh, However, you know, across the the table or sitting next to someone in discussions, you may feel like they're really just the authenticity of them taking this position is just really there. And, And sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. So I always tell you know, people that I'm coaching or I always give some coaching recommendations around individuals that are coming, going for job interviews and so forth. Is If you are not at all interested in, in this position or if you think that there's a remote chance that you're not or if you're just checking it out, which many of us are doing because you're interviewing the interviewer as much as you're being interviewed. And I think everybody should remember that piece. It's not a one-sided conversation. Um, the other person in the room We'll know. The other person, you know, will know immediately if your your toe is just dripping and dipping in the water versus you're you're here. You're here for the long haul. And then I sort of begin through the conversation to understand historically what kinds of op, uh, job opportunities or positions that they've held or experience they have in their life that shows a strong level of commitment. So we always like to look at individuals that have, for example, a college degree and um, in this industry and a college degree in whatever subject it is for us tells us, at least for me, tells me that you started something and finished it. You know, at at the end of the day, you started something and finished it, um, which means that there was a level of commitment in, in their past. And then you kind of fast forward to, if you're looking at a resume, it's very, very difficult when somebody's moved around six, seven times um, to understand, you want to understand what their thinking was in that process. Was it a was it an issue on the side of the organizations? They were startups or something like that. So then you start to question whether or not you know the decision quality to join organizations that that were going to be, you know, that they were going to stay with for the long haul was there, or they were looking for a short ride and jump to the next um, the next situation, which is not necessarily a negative. But I need to know in that discussion that there was a thought process. 
um, involved with, I went here because I wanted this skill set, which was short lived and it gave me the opportunity or I, I took the opportunity and was able to leverage it to get into what I really wanted to do. And that's understandable. So I think sometimes candidates are a little bit hesitant to say that they've had you know, eight months here, a year and a half here, two years here. I still want to know what that story is and why. Because there isn't anybody that is going to walk in and people can walk in with the most perfect resume. It, it really doesn't matter because I think we all made choices to join organizations or take our job opportunities or join a sports club or whatever we do for a particular reason. And then I start to learn about how this person values um, commitment, how they value uh, being part of something, part of a team, how they value their contributions and what kind of um, support and what they value in return. So if things come up along the way of, well, this company didn't value X or this manager didn't value X, okay, well, let's dig a little bit deeper to understand that. And I think in the discussion process, all of these things I just talked about could easily be sort of flushed out within a 20 minute conversation. Uh, and if I'm busy taking notes or looking back at and referencing things um, on the resume, I'm, I'm probably not as captivated by the discussion. And it doesn't mean that there's some issue across the table or, you know, with the candidacy. It just may be that we're not connecting on any of those topics where I'd say, okay, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. Is this person going to come on board for the long haul with me? There's so much to unpack in what you just described. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just going to go back about 10 or 15 seconds and talk about that connection because you talked about it early on, that there's mm -hmm. this sort of initial impression and this, this sense that this person is somebody you want to talk to. Um, and I heard throughout that that connection is based on um, the sort of intangibles of are they showing the right energy and the tangibles of their resume and kind of your gut feeling. Um, there's probably a lot going on in your head at that point, trying to mm -hmm. sort all these out as you're answering questions and asking questions and having this conversation. There is, I mean, there is, I, I, to be honest, uh, there is, if it's not, if I'm being, if I'm able to have a conversation and there's so much going on in my head, but I'm, continuing to want to talk to this individual, I'm not really too concerned about the order in which I'm, I'm having a discussion with, with a candidate. And I think sometimes when I get to a place like that, it could be, you know, five minutes into a conversation, could be 15 minutes into a conversation. If the candidate can't go there with me, then oftentimes I have to pull it back because I'm, I'm comfortable enough to, to continue the conversation. I will say though, that um, I have a personal my own personal philosophy is I don't pick up the phone unless I'm ready to talk. I don't um, go into a meeting unless I'm ready and, and my head's in this game. And I, I being a, a former professional athlete, that's just my nature. You don't walk into a ring. You don't walk into a competition without being ready. And so there are often times where people take a few minutes to warm up. And I've had to learn to accept that. Not everybody comes in with, you know, 100% sparkle. 
um, as some people call it. But at the same time, if I have a lot of respect for individuals that say, you know what, it's just been my day stacked up, I'm going to have to reschedule. That tells me that they're thoughtful enough or if they, even in the very beginning of a discussion to say, you know, I just want to let you know my, my boss, my current boss may call me and I have to take this call, that they're respectful enough and the honor where they're, they're committed to say, I apologize, but I may have to interrupt. That's fine. I think it's, it's when I start to feel like, like somebody is a little bit, their head is somewhere, uh, partly somewhere else. And you can tell that um, by a lot of things, a lot of the cues that we we kind of talked about or touched on within just a few a few minutes, and then there's the other side of it where if I come in the door, if, if I come to the meeting, and I have low energy, but I'm still highly interested, but I'm coming off as low energy, and the person across from me is coming off of super high energy, it just becomes a, a whole cycle of self awareness for. The person on the other side of the table and myself to understand that we're in a place where we either have to meet halfway with energy levels or I'm going to be bowled over by the person on the other side of the table because, you know, it's just how the energy match is working. And I think that's where I've, I've seen a lot of things go sideways in discussions where, you know, people are overly energetic and they're, they're really excited to, to have this conversation and I am too. However, I can't, I can't match their energy, and that can oftentimes pollute the connection, if that makes sense. Well, it does, because I think, personally, I think a lot about introversion and extroversion or ambiversion, whatever it comes to, and being able to match the energy in the room appropriately, um, and doing so to put the other person at ease. So I have to think that that energy component... Um, is a representation of emotional intelligence. Can they read the room properly? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think back to, I mean, I'm not a fan of doing more than five interviews with an individual within an organization. So if, if I'm interviewing someone and I think they're a possible candidate to move forward to the final round and I, and I want to have a couple of other executives meet with that individual, I'm not a fan of going more than five, and I've been part of organizations where it's 10, 12, 15. And what ends up happening is you get a lot of different energies, a lot of people coming to the table with different uh, levels of expertise. And if somebody, and it's happened to me where I've walked into the room and I'm very passionate about critical care or um, you know, some sort of um, surgical process or procedure or my experience in the hospital space or whatever it may be that I'm here to talk about. And the person sitting across from me is saying, I only have 10 minutes. I mean, you start off a conversation with, I only have 10 minutes, it, you know, as a candidate, it feels off-putting and you, you start to think, okay, well, what, what can I say in 10 minutes that this person needs to hear? And if somebody is not able to read the room or have the maturity in the workplace or in life to understand, like that person just said, please tell me the most important things you want me to hear and know in the next 10 minutes. Um, that's when I think that things get lost in translation. So I think it, I mean, I've been there. I've certainly been there. And, and it's thrown me for a loop. I think it throws anybody for a loop. But I think that's why I tend to contain my conversations um, the interview process even when I get referrals and so forth to very specific amounts of time um, so that I really, I really hone in 
and focus on the things that I think are going to be great for our team and great for our working partnership. And to me, somebody who looks at this as a working partnership initially is going to be somebody that I'm going to want to connect with more. If they're looking to to come in and, you know, bowl me over with all the, the experience that they have and how great they are, I can tell that, you know, within 20 seconds of meeting someone that they're talented individuals, you know, make, you know, they, they have a good experience. And I can tell those, get a sense for that as well as I can get a sense for someone who may not be as authentic about certain skill sets or talents that they're trying to prove to me they have. So it goes to me focusing on your strengths again, um, coming in and making sure that you're, you're staying on point to who you are. If you're true to who you are, then the person that's interviewing you as well as you're interviewing the other person will give you the, the real truth or will give you the authentic answer to something. So I'm going to flip it over and ask if that, that type of inauthenticity, when you're not seeing that commitment to the cultural values and the team and those intangibles that make you stand up a little straighter or make them stand up a little straighter, when you're not seeing those, in, um, those markers of authenticity, is that an end to the conversation for you, if not technically, actively, then mentally? It's, men it's mentally an end, for yeah. sure. And it's almost an instantaneous. Uh, I may have a, a continued conversation um, just to ensure, just to make sure that I feel the way that I, that my head and my gut are talking to each other appropriately. Because um, I would never want to, everybody has a bad day, a bad moment or all those things. But it is, that is a stopper for me. And in any case, um, especially if, if it happens early on, but I think that authenticity is something that can be spotted and, and you know, felt right away. And I think that that's something that most of us we've done in our life or continue to do at some point, make the mistake of saying, you know, okay, I'm going to study, study, study this one, this one area that I'm not very good at so that I, when I go in there, I can show them I can do it versus most of the time, I, you know, when I hire, I'm hiring for talent. So whether or not you've actually had that experience, if I'm in a different point of my hiring cycle and I need to have someone that I don't, I can't, I don't have time to coach up to a skill set level that we need, I'm going to look for somebody with more specific experience there. But overall, I've probably chosen more individuals to work with me based on talent, based on what I think that they, they may have the breath to do or the you know, their desire and integrity and commitment to do so, as well as what can they teach me and how can I learn from them? And are they willing to help teach me and help me grow because I don't know everything and it would be great to have someone that could coach and develop um, myself as well. I, I look at, again, for me, it's a two-way street. That, way. that is, <laughs> you might be the first person I've talked to who has, openly stated that it is a two-way street. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm somewhat speechless, and I know that doesn't happen often. Um, so, um, but I'm thinking about that, that you, it seems to me that you have this long-range vision in which everybody does well. 
um, including you, which I, I guess is fair. Um, if, if you don't love what you're doing, then you can't be a, a stand-up person for them either. Um, but if, if those things come to pass, then you have proof positive that you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that must feel really, really good um, to know that your instincts were right, your gut was right, your you know, gut check, head check, um, resume check, dare I say, um, all aligned. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It feels really, really good. And I, I'm very fortunate that I have had people in my career that have been supportive and mentored me and offered me, you know, extra mentorship or allowed me to to be who I am and grow and develop and gave me some strong and directive coaching. Um, And then didn't always hear it. Uh, And I'm glad that at some point, you know, 10 years down the road, maybe I started to hear things a little differently and, and really clicked on what someone was trying to share with me. But it's, for me, it's always been a two-way street. Um, and I think that I have a track record myself of staying with organizations that I really believe in, in the leadership. It's not necessarily, it's always first, like, who's your manager? Who do you report to? Who's your support system? And who's my team that, that's supporting me? And then also, too, I've had individuals that have worked for me for three different companies now, and I have a 17-year career with only four companies. So I still have those relationships 15 years later, or they've now gone on to do something else, but they've worked for me for two companies, three companies, and they they still come on board. And I think that at that point, you realize that you've had a 15-year commitment with somebody and when you're going to hire somebody new onto a team and you've got someone that you've got a 15-year relationship with, you really have to do, you have to take a step back and say, okay, this is a two-way street. This person is not, you know, this is not someone I know. This is someone that I'm getting to know. And what, where am I at today? What am I expecting today? Um, and it, it always to me is, and I, I always want to know that the individuals that are working with me and for me and all of those things that that I can ask questions just as they should be asking questions and there's no stupid questions, right? We just need to ask them and be able to feel comfortable asking those things. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of leaders will say, Oh, I have an open door policy. Don't hesitate to come down to the big office and pick up the phone and call myself. All these things that I've been told through my career. And I would, I find that, while many state that, many executives and leaders have stated that in my career, there are only few that really, really mean it. And I remember the time when I first started my first job in pharmaceuticals, I went to my orientation and I was told by the president of the division or the group was told, you know, don't hesitate to call me, email me. I'm, you know, an open book. And I don't know, 4,000 of us at the time. Well, I being new and naive to the industry, I, I thought, okay. I had a success and I thought I would let him know. And he wrote me back and then he wanted to come out and work with me. But I didn't understand that my manager and my manager's manager were not exactly thrilled (laughs) with me doing that. I just took a leap and, you know, I had an an individual who said, yeah, sure. I'm going to come out and see the great things you're doing. And that's just has been an example of in my career where, you know, you take a chance, you learn your lessons, but also it taught me that if I'm going to say something in an interview process or if I'm going to make a commitment of some sort or if I'm going to say I'm an open door you know, policy person, 
and I have to mean it or else, you know, after in an interview process as well, when, once you get, once the candidate gets shut down on something or you, they shut you down on something, it just becomes a very difficult relationship to build from. But again, I think it speaks to authenticity on both sides, especially mm-hmm. yours. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing you as I do, I can't imagine you would um, metaphorically slam the door in someone's face if they had a legitimate reason to seek you out, um, seek your advice or um, feedback or anything. Um, I, I really believe that in you. Um, well, you know, thank you. And, you know, I'll say one thing, though. What I've learned to do is, I, I always say, okay, everybody give me a disclaimer of some sort. Like, I'll give you the disclaimer. It's not a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know, it's not a good day. And, and I think that that, for me, has always helped for my teams. When they understand that I'm coming to them and saying, I'm just putting it out there. Uh, everyone hears this all at the same time. Today is just not a great day. If you really urgently need me, please send me a text or please send me an email, mark it urgent. Otherwise I can't get to anything today. And I think those things have really helped me because earlier in my career, I may not have told my team it was okay um, that, you know, to have a bad day or to have a day where you're just not available. In return, I expect them to be upfront and say, it's just not a great day for, for us to meet in the field, or it's not a great day for me to do this business review, or, I'm going to need more help on this than are you able to help me with this so that I don't, um, I'm not self-conscious about it during the presentation, whatever the disclaimer is, or I'm just venting. Can I vent to you? Yes. And in, and once you break someone's trust, I mean, if someone vents to you and then all of a sudden it turns into something else, you know, the reality is, is we all have those days. And one thing as a leader I've had to learn is, is to let it, let it lie, let, let people get it out and then peel it apart. And so when I'm, when I am interviewing and talking to a candidate and they may, you know, oftentimes I think some mistakes candidates make, or well, let me, if I can speak truthfully or if I can speak honestly, or if I can, you know, just tell you how it really works, you know, this is, that's a caution for me because I, for me, I'm thinking, well, why do you have to give me that disclaimer if everything we're talking about should be, you know, upfront and clean in terms of what we're, or clear in terms of what we're talking about. Now you're giving me a disclaimer that I'm not sure what I'm about to hear is, you know, is it the authentic way the things are done or that you're thinking, or is it, are you trying to, to give me some piece of information to make me think something when that's not how it, I, it's just very confusing to me when people do that, as opposed to there's no need for that in an interview process nor when we work together, I would assume, I'm assuming everything is, is honest and real and true. And if you're not telling me something, I'm assuming there's a reason for it and, you know, good or bad, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I think that there's some component of that, that is the way people talk, good, bad, or indifferent. They say things, Mm -hmm. can I be honest with you? Or um, let me tell you the truth about this. And then it does, it shouldn't, but it does raise the red flag of, well, are they honest the rest of the time? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Um, So let me hearken back to your comment, if I may, about Mm -hmm. your extensive career and how people have followed you over time 
because mm-hmm. presumably you've built that level of honesty and trust and authenticity. And if they said something in their new interview with you, whatever form that might be, and maybe we should unpack that for a second, but if they said, let me be honest with you, you're already coming from a position of connectedness and maybe it's not so yeah. bad. Yes. I mean, no, I, and I usually know what that means. I think it, it's usually in my experience, it tends to mean I haven't wanted to talk to you about something because it's just been too much for me to deal with, or I know you've been busy. Like, you know, you get to know somebody and that's really kind of what that means. But when you don't know someone and when you're talking about an interview process, those are some of the things that, you know, it, it just, it does, it does put a little flag up to me. Um, and you know, again, people can be professional interviewers and I can always tell some of those that are professional interviewers, they have the keywords and know what they're saying, but naturally do they speak like this? Naturally, do they behave this way? So I try to disarm, disarm individuals. And over time, my teams have taught me, um, it's okay, you know, to be this way, or, you know, it's okay to, to, to give me a suggestion on something that I never thought about and um, it's okay for me not to agree with it. And um, I want to be able to have that dialogue because at this stage of the game in an interview process, at least in where I'm at, there isn't time anymore. I don't have time to go back and forth to unpack all that with someone. Um, I need to, I need an, an individual to be able to say like, this doesn't work for me. Could you help me in a different way? Um, and the people who follow you probably know that about you. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I think so. I, I think that the people who have, have followed me are, they know that I'm always going to explain the good, bad, you know, indifferent or whatever it is with, with whatever project organization that I'm building and so forth. And I also take the time if we're going to, if I'm going to move to another organization to establish their level of commitment in moving to a different organization, or if they're, if they're looking for a job, what are they really looking for? Because just because I know I've known them for 10 years or five or whatever it may be, doesn't necessarily mean that I, I believe they're a really good fit for this particular position or this particular organization. I may still think they're amazing and great and there's other opportunities and I'll support them in that. But that becomes a challenge for me um, on my end where it's not, it's, you know, each time I change and I shift or I have a different view on something or who I would need to hire for X about position. um, Some people, I just know it's not their, it's not their wheelhouse or it's not something they're really passionate about, but I'd like to have a conversation to understand it. We have an established relationship. When you don't have an established relationship with a candidate, that individual has to really quickly establish that rapport, at least with me. Um, because I, if I have to think about some, someone too many times, if I have to ask myself repetitive questions about them, if I have to start to convince myself this person probably would do a really good job or would be a really great fit, then it's telling me that there's something there um, that I either need to go back and revisit or it's just I need to start over. I think that can be really hard for candidates as well as it is for somebody that's interviewing someone is when there's just something that's just missing. And I think that I've talked to many friends in the industry and so forth that have been on both sides of the table that would say, you know, I asked for feedback and I got this or I got the general statement. 
um, you know, we had an internal candidate or we, um, we decided to go a different direction. I mean, there's some blanket statements. Uh, when in reality, the, it could be something as very simple as I didn't feel like we connected as well to, to create a long-lasting partnership. Can't put my finger on it. I think you're very talented. Um, but at this time, it, I think it would be best to, you know, to explore other opportunities. I mean, it could be something as simple as that, but how, I don't know that candidates really hear the truth on that end. It's, just, it's, not, it's not necessarily them. It, it could be just the situation. It seems thematically that the connection and authenticity matters from the moment they step into your office and sit down to the point where they're signing their agreement. Um, mm -hmm. And within like the first couple of weeks that they're on board, I can tell. Yeah. Um, you know, I can tell. I can tell if somebody's going to be a challenge to manage. But at this point in my career, yes, I've I have had a lot of experience managing very various different types of personalities and strengths and so forth. In my early career, no, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know that this in, this type of individual was going to be a real challenge for me. And three years down the road, while they were doing very well, I was still exhausted from trying to figure out how to coach and support them in the best way possible because we just if I didn't learn fast enough how to work with them. Um, but, you know, someone signs on and within the first two to three weeks is really, um, it's a very clear time for me when I start to hear things like, oh, this candidate is asking for X, Y, and Z, or um, they're requesting that, that when, the, when some of the requests and things come in uh, and they don't seem to be relevant to creating a long lasting partnership, it's more of, you know, they're, they're small things that they're picking at. Yeah, I'm going to probably have someone on my hands that is, you know, going to be really nitpicky about things that the organization isn't very good at, and they're going to get frustrated. So right off the bat, I know in week one, they're, they're probably going to feel frustrated. So I need to put a lot more effort into um, making sure some of the details, anticipating some of the details that this person needs to be successful are there for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's also a testament to your your side of, of the equation, your commitment to them. Um, so if somebody were in that position, um, at the point potentially of being interviewed, maybe getting the offer from you, how would you advise somebody seeking to make that connection? with you. Uh, they don't know you at all, right? I mean, except for the people that you've worked with in the past, but mm -hmm. let's say somebody fresh um, from the interview pool or from the recruiter or from whoever it might be, a referral. Mm -hmm. How do you, what would you advise them um, in terms of kind of getting, getting to that deep connection with you? Um, I think one of the things I would, I would say right off the bat is you know, do your homework and, and your preparation and so forth, um, but don't but don't try to come in. And one of the things that I have challenges with with somebody coming in and trying to wow me with their level of knowledge on the current product or service or device that I'm heading up or that I'm working with for a sales team. I don't expect that you should be an expert in something you you don't have expertise in. And so I think that piece um, makes it difficult to connect. Now, it's great to show me that you've done the work to look into it. 
but if you're trying to be an expert, because I think back, you know, back in the day when I started pharma, they wanted you to walk through the door. At least my experience was to walk through the door and be able to recite the package insert for the product that you were looking at to sell. And in my world today, that tells me one that you've, that you've done the research and studied, but two, I would say stick to what you know best. And if you start, if you're able to, to tell me what it is you do that you're most passionate about and explain to me in, as the expert in something I'm not an expert in, I can tell, I can tell from across the table or next to you what your, where your passion lies and how much I'm drawn into that discussion. So part of the fun I have when I interview and meet new people is I learn about new products or new ways of thinking things about things because the, uh, phenomenal people come through the door all, all the time. And it's usually the ones that stick to what they know best. So I'd say coming through the door to reassure yourself that you're here for a reason. You know, you have had all this experience in life and in work and, you know, in, in what you've learned through the world use that to your advantage, whether it's something like traveling or a sport you do, but use that to your advantage because it will, I will be able to tell that that's authentically where your, your head goes and where your heart is. And while they say, you know, these, these books on, are you a heart leader? Are you a gut leader? And all these things, I never really define anything about me other than both my gut, my heart have to say like, that it works well, we're, we're working well together. Um, so I'd say coming through the door, just uh, I would say back off from trying to be an expert in that area, as opposed to someone who's been able to gather enough information and learn enough about it to ask good questions. That's, that's really that, that place that I want to see people get to. And then can we have a discussion and are we having a two-way street discussion? It's not just me asking questions and you asking questions. It's us having a dialogue. And I can start to sense that we can build a book of business together and we can build a team together. We can add to the team and they can help me with my growth as well. I think that's going to stay with me a long time, the things you <laughs> just said. Um, <laughs> It wouldn't be the first time you've said something that stuck with me. <laughs> well, thank sure. you. Um, so I, I'm grateful for your insights and your comments. Um, is, did I leave anything on the table? Is there something you'd like to add uh, about hiring? Um, you know, I think I think it's this has been a very interesting topic because. I recently switched um, organizations. I moved on to a different organization after 10 years. And I've had a number of friends and colleagues in the industry that have moved around for various different reasons in the, last, in the recent past. So I've had to revisit this whole process on both sides. And I would say that it's great to know that there are people sitting across from each other that have had similar experiences because we can always find something similar. And we always have 2020 hindsight and what we could have and should have and would have and our learning lessons. However, if, you know, if we're sitting across the table from today, you know, today, as opposed to myself 17 years ago, I'd at least hope to know that when you're, when someone's coming through the door, 
I, I really want and anyone who's across from me or next to me and talking to me to know that, that I'm looking at a whole picture and you have to decide what kind of individual you want to work with, you want to partner with, an organization you want to be a part of, what critical values are important to you. And I would say don't waste your time with, um, with products that you don't feel you know, very passionate about when you start to read about them with organizations that you're really not sure what their value system is, that you just, you're a little confused about something, or if you just don't feel it, then I, I'd say, you know, move on to something different. We all need to work, most of us do, and we need a job, and we all should be supporting each other in all those efforts. But really, when I'd say with friends of mine that have been out there, myself and so forth, if it just doesn't feel right to you, um, and I usually know when I'm reading about something, if I can't stop reading, then I really want to get to know more. Um, and I think that's the other thing, too, is for candidates to remember, you have to interview the people that are interviewing you just as much. So almost I would recommend people that are looking at interviewing to understand that they also have um, absolutely should take the opportunity to interview the person that they're talking to or people that they're talking to or panel. It is absolutely critical. And I've made the mistake myself in the past where I'm just so focused on trying to get my message across or get my, my, my experience across or make sure that they know I'm going to close them and all these things that yes, are inherently part of the mix. But I've forgotten in the past and I'm, try to do a better job as I evolve to make sure that I'm interviewing the person and I'm assessing the situation just as much because I bring a lot to the table just like the, the other person does uh, across the table bring a lot to the table and it shouldn't be a matter of you know it, it's a one-sided situation so that's another thing I would say that I find candidates forget um, and you can Google and LinkedIn and do all those things. I'd actually prefer, I prefer to not do too much of that um, myself when I'm meeting someone. I prefer to make my own internal instinctual judgments or, you know, um, understandings about my interactions with someone. Doesn't mean that, you know, that the company won't do a background check or all those things. It's just a matter of, I think, it's like anything else. If I've already done all this research and know everything about what your favorite cookies are, then getting to know you, it just kind of becomes not natural in that sense. So I'm just, I guess I might be a rare bird, but I don't spend a lot of time Googling someone um, ahead of time. I might do some research after, but um, I just think I've had a lot of candidates come in and and have done, you know, LinkedIn searches on me and Googles and talk to so-and-so and it's all well and good, but I want to make sure that you're looking at this from your perspective, just like I'm looking at this from my perspective, not what, you know, what someone else may be telling me, even if I have a recruiter that's um, a trusted recruiter, not, I only really work with trusted recruiters. Um, so I don't know if that's, if that's any last bit, of interest, but I, that's some of the stuff that's come up to my mind. Certainly, 100%. And I always appreciate anything you have to add or, or 
um, delve into. So I hope that this isn't the last conversation that we have on this topic. Um, and I, um, again, so appreciate your insights and so appreciate your willingness to be here on This Is How I Hire. Um, so profound my gratitude. Pleasure. Thank you. Well, my pleasure. And thank you. You've been in a really inspirational coach and pulling up a subject like this, which is something that now nobody really wants to tell you the trade secrets to. <laughs> it's, um, it comes down to human beings, you know, talking to human beings. And otherwise we would just, you know, apply online and you'd start on Monday and, you know, what would be the point? <laughs> well, so I'm glad, that way. yeah, I'm glad you see it as a, as a personal endeavor. And I'm sure that that follows you wherever you go and will continue to follow you as you go through your career. I hope so. I hope it gets better. Um, I'm always, I'm learn something new. Like you say, learn something new every day. And again, there's just, this is a great topic for everyone. You know, leaders need to need to learn how to be interviewed as well. I mean, it, just because you have a, a super fancy title doesn't mean that um, you don't need to know this stuff. You know? <laughs> doesn't well, mean that you're the expert. No, and I, probably the more we talk about it, the, the greater the shared expertise, I hope, will continue to be and that people will mm -hmm. be more comfortable having tough conversations around things that are very hard to do. Nobody is born knowing the specific technique of interviewing, uh, regardless of which side of the desk they're mm -hmm. on. So I hope to, to expand this conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. I mean, it's just, now if you find that formula, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bottle it, shall we say? Yes, bottle it up, bottle it up and sell it. That'd be good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank okay. you very much, Amy. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Thank you. Mm -hmm.